much for being here. It is good. It is good for us to be here together, fellowship with one another, and to worship our Almighty God. If you are visiting with us, thank you so much. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for your commitment to the Lord to come together. Uh, you could be a lot of other places doing a lot of other things, but we're thankful that you're here. Uh, if you are here and visiting with us, please take a moment and fill out one of those blue cards uh, before services are over, and we'll pass those to the aisles here in a little bit and, and gather those. Members, of course, fill out your attendance card just so we can know who we need to check on, who may be missing, and uh, who we want to reach out to. Uh, this morning we'll be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there like we were last week, we'll begin there here in just a few minutes. If you have a copy of God's Word, use your phone, that's fine, use your copy. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, there is a black, bu- black, bo- black book, there you go, on the back of the pew in front of you, and Acts chapter 2 starts on page number 910. So if you want to grab that copy, uh, that would be great. Before we get into our uh, lesson this morning, I do want to remind you about a couple of things that are coming up. Uh, Next Sunday, we have our spring fling uh, for all of our kids and adults. You're certainly welcome to to be here. We'll have uh, normal services, Bible class at 9, worship at 10. Uh, and then following that, we'll have a meal, and we'll have a, an Easter egg hunt and a devotional. Uh, so kids, we want you to be there. Teens, we'd love for you guys to be there. Uh, invite your friends, uh, you know, grandparents, invite your grandkids. Everybody uh, show up, and let's make sure that's a, a great day uh, next Sunday. Uh, I also want to remind you about uh, some other things that you can pray about. Uh, Lads to Leaders is coming up here in a couple of weeks. We've got a number of kids who are participating in that. So if you will uh, pray for those kids as they are trained uh, to use their skills and song leading or in speech giving or in reading God's word or puppets or any number of other things they're participating in. Uh, Pray that they will uh, prepare well for the convention, uh, that they'll do well at convention. But I really want you to pray for these kids, these uh, these boys and girls who are learning these, these skills, that they will use them for God's glory throughout the rest of their lives. So please uh, pray about that. Uh, a couple other things that I want to remind you about before we get to our lesson. Uh, coming up the first weekend in May, May 6th and 7th, we're, we're having our Love Where You Live weekend. On Saturday, May 6th, we'll have a number of uh, service projects that we're going to do around town. So we want you to go ahead and put that on your calendar. More details will be coming about uh, up about that in the coming weeks so that you can sign up to participate in all these various uh, community service activities. We really want you to be a part of that. Uh, and then that Sunday, of course, we'd love for you to invite your neighbors to come to the services that morning and that Sunday afternoon afternoon from about three till seven and again we'll have more specific details as we go forward uh, we're going to have praise in the park down at uh, dogwood park uh, we're going to meet at the amphitheater there we'll probably have some some activities some fun some some yard games type things uh, starting around three or four o'clock uh, we'll have a devotional uh, and certainly you'd be welcome to, to bring some picnic type food uh, there at the amphitheater so we'll be there at some point between three or four o'clock uh, and be out of there by seven o'clock and we will not have a service here that night uh, but we will have services uh, at the park and of course, we want as many people from the community uh, to be there. So invite your friends, invite your neighbors, tell them to, to just meet us at the park uh, for that great day. Of course, another great opportunity uh, that you have to invite uh, folks that are going to be interested in spiritual things happens here in a couple weeks. Uh, Easter holiday uh, that pe- many people recognize and that some people, the only time they come to church is on the Sunday closest to, to Christmas and the Sunday of Easter. So I would invite you, encourage you, uh, take the advantage of that opportunity. Invite people to come to church with you that day. Uh, maybe your next door neighbor, maybe your coworker. Uh, invite people to come that day. There are people who will be looking for a place to worship that day that may not be looking for a place to worship any other day of the week. Why not, or any other day of the year? Why not let's uh, take advantage of that opportunity and to invite them. Acts chapter 2. Uh, last week, 
we began a, a very short series that's uh, the today and uh, last week and, and the next week about uh, the early church. And we talked about how the book of Acts is the, the history book of the, the New Testament, the history book of the church. If you want to learn about uh, what does God have to say about what, what is the history of the early church, how did it begin, how did people who were not Christians become Christians, become follower of Je- followers of Jesus, you want to look at the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2 specifically, about verse 36 through 47, we have the, the very early maybe day or days of the church. We have certainly... Previous to that, in the early part of Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter's first gospel sermon. And remember, they're, they're pierced to the heart. Not only uh, does Peter say, hey, this, this Jesus, you missed him. He was, he is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He's the Messiah that you and your ancestors and your ancestors' ancestors have been looking for for generation after generation. You missed him. Not only did you miss him, you killed him. You murdered him on the cross. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they're pierced to the heart and they ask, what can we do? And of course, Peter answers them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the introduction, the opening of the kingdom of God, the church, the beginning. And every time that we read about people becoming Christians in the Bible, we read about them becoming Christians in the book of Acts. It's important for us to recognize this. Let's highlight just a couple of verses there in that passage that we referenced. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Uh, he says, and with many other words, he, that's Peter, solemnly bore witness and kept on exhorting them. That's the crowd saying, be saved from this crooked, your version may say, perverse generation. There were people there that they, they didn't just need to be saved or their only shortcomings were, were not just the fact that they had murdered Jesus, the son of God. Certainly that's a, that's a big deal. But there were perhaps likely some people there who were not there when Jesus was crucified. But they were there, and Peter says, hey, even if you weren't there and weren't in connection with the the crucifixion of Jesus, the Messiah whom you missed, you live in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation, and you need to be saved. And we can say today, hey, you were not there on the day that Jesus was crucified, but you need to be saved because you live in the midst of a, a wicked and perverse and crooked generation. Whether that's crooked in politics or whether that's crooked or perverse in religion or in your personal life, you need to be saved because there is sin that exists within this world and that exists within your life. You need to be saved in the same way that they needed to be saved. And it says going on that those who believed were baptized, again, into Christ for the remission of their sins. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how they became Christians. And then look at verse 46 and 47. These new people, not, not even called Christians yet, but these people who had named Jesus as their Lord had committed their lives to Jesus and been baptized into Jesus, therefore having their sins washed away. It says of them in verse 46 and 47, and daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We would, we said last week and I'd repeat it this week, this was the Eden like the Garden of Eden. This was the Eden of the church. It was the perfection. The best the church has ever been was in Acts chapter 2 in the city of Jerusalem. And we read about again in those verses how they, they cared for one another and they loved one another and they were there for one another and they were living lives. We, we, we kind of summarized it this way. Then in Acts chapter 2, the church begins and it is identified as, if we were to break it down in this way, they were a community. A group of people who were committed to three things. Correction. Remember the first thing they're told, they say, okay, hey, 
we recognize we've, we've messed up. We missed Jesus. And later on, he tells them, hey, not only did you miss Jesus, but there's other things in your life that you need to get right. The first thing they're told to do, the very first thing, is to repent. And that carries with it the need for correction. So it was a community of people who were committed to correction. They recognized they needed to change. And they were committed to changing. Brothers and sisters, if there's things in our life that are not right, according to God's word and in comparison to God's word, then you and I need to be committed to correction. The very same way that they were. Not only and not just when we think about correction, we think I'm going to correct you. And there may be a part of that, but more importantly, I need to recognize I need to correct me, okay? I'm committed to correction. We, the church, they, the church, all of us as the church are committed to correction. But not only that, they were also committed to caring for one another. In Acts chapter 2, they sold their things as needed and, and supplied the needs. They met the needs, not the wants, but the needs of those who were there so that no one, in fact, was in need. So they're committed to their community of correction, care, and they're focused on Christ. That's why they were gathered together. That's the only reason, the main reason, the supreme reason that they were gathered together is because they were committed to Christ. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Earlier it says 3,000 people were baptized on that first day and day after day after day. And I believe it's by Acts chapter 5, there's 5,000. It continues to grow day after day after day. More and more people become members of the church. So we think about this, this church that began 2,000 years ago that you and I are blessed to be a, same, a part of the same church that exists today. We know in Acts chapter 2 in the following uh, passages, the following chapters, uh, that the growth of the church, but not only the growth, the growth is, is the good aspect of it, but also the threat of Satan. And Satan coming into the church, coming into the hearts of the mi- and the minds of Christians and changing their actions away from following Jesus and towards following their own desires, or that is certainly the desires of Satan, this growth and Satan made the need for leadership Evident, And that's where we get to our topic today about elders, that elders are beneficial, that elders are necessary, that it's part of God's plan for there to be elders in the church. Now, I say that and all of us have experience with elders. All right. And more importantly, all of us have experience with leadership. And we we look at our community. We look at our culture today, not only in America, but around the world. And if we were to ask most people, most people would say they have a distrust of any form of leadership, whether that's governmental leadership. Do you trust your, all of your politicians? There may be, hopefully, a few that you trust, maybe that you voted for, but there's probably a lot of them, maybe even the majority of them, that you have a distrust. You, you would call it a healthy distrust of that leadership. We look at corporate America. You look at your bosses, perhaps, and you might even say, well, I don't really even trust my bosses all that much, whether that's small business or certainly, and more especially, in big business, in big corporations. We have a distrust of leadership. We look at our local community. We look just across the board in all aspects of life, and most people, whether it's you or not, most people, the the statistics tell us, most people have a distrust of any kind, any form of leadership. So we get to this topic of elders the leaders of local congregations and the fact is that even here today there are people who would struggle with maybe they are committed to because they're committed to christ but they would struggle with having a healthy trust of leadership even of elders but this morning i want us to think about that this is god's plan this is god's plan for the church and we need to understand that 
and recognize that. God has always provided leaders to his people. As a matter of fact, God has never asked his people to move from point A to point B without providing leadership. You can look at it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Think about men like Abraham, Moses, David, Nehemiah. Think about elders in the church. Think about the apostles. Every time that God expects there to be some sort of change, some sort of growth, some sort of movement individually or as a group of people, as God's people, he always provides leadership. And he does that even today, 2,000 years after his son walked the face of the earth. And he provides that leadership at a local congregation in the elders you turn over to Acts chapter 7, we're gonna, you, can, you can reference that if you want to. It's a, a turning point, a turning point in the church. Acts chapter 7 probably is around five years after Acts chapter 2. You know, we don't have a whole lot of dates, descriptions in Scripture itself, but it's probably, uh, most scholars believe, somewhere around five years. I've seen some that said it would be within the first year of the church, uh, but most say it's about five years, and that makes personally a little more sense to me. But, but let, me, let me tell you what that means, though. In Acts chapter 7, you're going to have the stoning of Stephen, who's one of what we would generally call and think of uh, the first deacons. We'll talk about deacons next week. Uh, but he's a, he's a bold man. He's an eloquent man. He's a, he's a brave man. And he stands up and, and, and presents the truth, but the truth is not accepted by the Jewish leaders. And, and they stone him to death. They murder him by throwing rocks at him until he dies. Horrible event. It seems as if that the church... For this, for however long it is, whether it's a year or whether it's five years, certainly it's more significant in my mind if it's five years. But the church primarily, significantly, perhaps only exists in Jerusalem for five years. That's a problem. That's a problem that, that God recognizes and that God uses this tragedy of the stoning of Stephen to bring about some movement there. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 8, uh, let's read verses 1 through 3. So this is following the stoning of Stephen uh, in Acts chapter 7. And right after that, in Acts chapter 8, it says, Now Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, that Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. And he was delivering them to prison. So here we have that this is the first time, at least recorded in the Bible, where a significant population of the church leaves Jerusalem and goes anywhere else. And where do they go? They go to Judea and Samaria. They go to the surrounding areas, but they're getting out of Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, there's a great persecution against the church. Now, some folks, maybe even some of our religious friends, look at this and say, well, there was a failure, failure of the church. Some folks go so far as to say that this was a failure of God. That God was attempting to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. That God was attempting to uh, set up and and begin to have uh, the the Israelite nation reborn in Jerusalem. But if you look back in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is talking to the apostles in the very earliest verses of Acts chapter 1, he says that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, unto the othermost parts of the world. But they hadn't done that for five years. They were just staying in Jerusalem. They hadn't gone out and, and found the other Jews and found the other believers in God and began to tell them, hey, this Jesus who was crucified, you've probably heard about him because he was, it was a big deal, it was big news. That he's the Messiah, and now there's hope found in him. So for five years approximately, they hadn't been doing that. They hadn't been doing what Jesus said that they would do. So Jesus uses this tragedy, God uses this tragedy to bring about the success of the church and even the further growth of the church. So 
Christians in Acts chapter 2, hopefully Christians today, it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. But in Acts chapter 8, many of the Christians leave Jerusalem, they go to Judea, they go to Samaria, except for who? Who did it say? Except for the apostles. Okay, so the apostles are there, and the apostles are those, those 12 men that uh, spent a lot of time with Jesus, and most of them were there with him most days, except for when he sent them out on various missions and those types of things. They were the people that were, were there with Jesus the most, had the most teachings from Jesus. Jesus even says that he's going to send the Spirit to them so that they will remember everything that he said, and they'll be taught some, some new things. So if there was an expert in what God wanted Christians to do, followers of Jesus to do, it was the apostles. And because of that, these new Christians were devoted to their teaching. Well, there's a problem now, isn't there? Because now many Christians have left where the apostles are, and there's a lack of leadership. There's a lack of leadership in their midst. So their need, there is a clear need for this. And we see here in Acts chapter 8, and we can read in other passages about Saul, who's this, uh, this very zealous Jew, and because of that, he, he hates Christians. He hates anyone who would be associated with what he called the way. And he would go and, and, and drag them out of their homes and throw them into prison. But later on, we know, as we go later on into the, the history of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, this Saul has been, um, he's been converted. He's a Christian. Amazing story that most of us know, but we're not going to take the time to go into today. In Acts chapter 14, uh, Saul, whose name at this point uh, becomes in the midst of this journey, uh, they began to call him Paul. In Acts chapter 14... He goes on a first missionary journey with a man named Barnabas. And they go uh, from uh, Antioch and they, they travel down a little bit into the Mediterranean Sea and they go up into Asia Minor, uh, Turkey and that area that we would know of today. And it's always significant and every time I talk about elders I say this so you have heard it before if you've been here before uh, and, and we've been talking about this. Uh, he, he makes what is basically a large oval and he's almost all the way back to Antioch where he started. But he doesn't go back to Antioch where he started. He makes a U-turn, and in all these places where he has, he has taught people who had, some of them, many of them perhaps, had never heard of Jesus, he tells them about Jesus, they believe in Jesus, and they become Christians, just like everybody becomes a Christian. He goes back and he visits them, and he does it for the express purpose. It says in the Bible, Acts chapter 14, if you want to read it, verses 21 through 23, he says that he goes there to appoint elders in every city, at every church. It's that important. Leadership, the need for leadership for these new Christians was that important that he could have just went back on to Antioch and, and told them about all the amazing things and all the new Christians that they had. But he knew that if they wanted to sustain the community, just like they had in Acts chapter 2, the community that's committed to correction, to care, and to Christ, he knew they would need leaders. And so he goes back. And how, how, does, how does Paul know that? God let him know that. God through the Spirit, God through his knowledge, God through his understanding, help him to understand that those people needed leaders. And it's so interesting to me that, that, that Paul, if we look at the, the qualifications of elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, Paul doesn't even qualify to be an elder because he's not a married man. But he understands the need for leadership. So he goes back to all of those places and he appoints he makes sure they have leaders. So here's the question. What's so great about elders? And I hesitate because I like my job uh, to say nothing. <laughs> What's so great about elders? 
Again, each of us here today, many of us at least, have had the opportunity to, to interact with elders. And again, as I referenced in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, here, here's the fact. This is a fact. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. A man who meets those qualifications, one of the best men you'll ever meet. Hands down. A man who meets the qualifications that God Almighty lays out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Some of the best people, best men you'll ever meet. There's no doubt about it. I've had the privilege to, uh, to, to be under a number of elderships. I've had the privilege to, uh, to serve as a, as a minister uh, under the, the leadership of, of elders. And, but but here, here's the question. What's so great about elders? I can promise you that all the elders I've ever worked with would say they're not perfect. Yes, they're some of the, if they meet the qualifications to be an elder that we read about in Scripture, they're some of the best people you'll ever meet. But all of them would say they're not perfect. All of them would say they've got shortcomings. All of them would say they've got things that they deal with. So what's so great about elders? Why did God, in his wisdom, his almighty infinite wisdom, why did God set up the idea of elders and that elders are in charge? There are, there's a, a, a group of elders at every congregation of the Lord's church. Why is that God's plan? Well, let me suggest to you this morning that, that an elder's primary job is to continue the same thing that we read about in Acts chapter 2. An elder's primary job is to continue the community that exists of correction, of care, and of making sure that group of people that they are leading is centered on Christ. Let's look at those briefly this morning. A community of correction. If you want to turn over to Titus chapter 1, let's read verse 9. Titus chapter 1 uh, and verse 9. Again, this is uh, one of the areas where we read about the uh, the qualifications uh, for elders. And it says in Titus chapter 1, in verse 9, one of the things that it says is say, hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and reprove those who contradict. What does that say? He says that you're, you're able to uh, correct, able to exhort, able to encourage, able to, to teach, and that you line up with sound teaching. When we go back to Acts chapter 2, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What teaching is this? Well, it's the teaching we read about in Scripture. It's the teaching from God. One of the primary jobs of an elder, and certainly an eldership, is to make sure that whatever is being taught, whether that's from the pulpit or in a Bible class or in anything connected with, with the church, the primary job, one of the primary jobs of an elder is to make sure that it is appropriate, that it's correct, that it's right. That means that, that an elder needs to know the word of God. Needs to understand what does God want, what does God teach, and to be able to, in a loving and kind but direct and firm manner, correct those who would teach anything otherwise. That's one of the primary jobs of an elder. It's a significant responsibility. But also, they are committed to the community and making sure the care, the love, the, the relationships that we have as a family uh, stay strong. We can read about this in Acts chapter 20. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Here, uh, Paul, again, this, the same man that we've been reading about, is on another one of his missionary journeys, his last one, and he thinks that he's uh, headed towards Jerusalem, very likely thinking that he is about to die. Uh, he doesn't exactly know what's coming his way, but he knows it's persecution. He knows some difficult things are coming. And when he wants to, to affect this, uh, this church at Ephesus, a church that he spends a tremendous amount of time with, probably the church that he's closest to outside of maybe the church in Antioch. Uh, he, he calls the elders because he knows that they're going to be the ones that are going to have the greatest effect on the group of people that he loves. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Uh, let's read verse, uh, verse 25. 
And then we'll read a few more. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom of God will no longer see my face. He says, listen, this is the last time that I'm going to see you. There's two words there that are extremely important that I want us to emphasize in a couple of different passages. Notice what he says again in verse 25. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom, among, among whom, that, that, that word among is a big deal. I don't think that that's there by accident, okay? In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ came to the earth and dwelt among us. He was with us. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 25, where it says, I was among you. I was with you. We were together. Hold on to that. That's important. Let's skip down and notice this relationship that, that uh, Paul had with these Christians there in, in uh, Ephesus. Verses 35 through 38, he's wrapping up his statements there. He says, In everything I showed you by, by, that by laboring in this manner you must help the weak and remember the word of, words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when they had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud, falling on Paul's neck, and they were kissing him, being in agony, especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. These brothers loved Paul because he had spent three or so years with them, among them, caring for them making sure that they cared for one another, setting an example for them about how they ought to live their lives. And elders are supposed to be doing the same thing. Paul was not an elder, but he calls these elders these from this group of people that he loves. And he says, listen, I set the example for you when I was among you. And I would say today that anyone who's an elder needs to have such an attitude, needs to have such actions, that he is among us and he loves us that he cares about us, that he helps us in everything that we do individually and as a congregation. Then if you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, let's read verses 1 through 3. Uh, 1 Peter 5 verses 1 through 3, again, a passage about elders, uh, and it's important here. Peter is an elder, he's an elder in Jerusalem, uh, and Peter is writing this, and in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 3, he's specifically talking to other elders. Notice what he says, therefore I exhort, I encourage, I, I, I stress to the elders among you, how, where are they? Among you. It's not there by accident. Okay? Jesus came and was among us. Peter was in Acts chapter 20 among the Ephesians. And now uh, Peter is telling those, uh, Paul was among the Ephesians. And now Peter is telling his other elders, hey, this group of people that you're among, it's an important phrase there, okay? I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. Among you, overseeing, not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, nor is lord, lording it over those who are allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. Elders are appointed. It's a part of God's plan because it's not a mistake what happened in Acts chapter 2. When that community began, it was centered on Christ. Because it was centered on Christ, they cared for one another they cared for one another because they were committed to correction. They wanted to change their lives and become who God, who Jesus wanted them to be. And that growth and also the, the threat of Satan led to the need for, for leaders, and, and that's what they got. So there's a great concern and care. And then lastly, of course, elders today need to be committed to 
making sure that this community, this congregation here, our elders, need to be committed to the idea of being centered on Christ. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This passage was read to us earlier, but let's read Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 one more time. And he, that is God, himself gave uh, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors. That word pastors there would, would relate to our elders today. And teachers. Why did he give these leaders? Notice each of those is a form of leader. Why did he give those leaders? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Do we want, do you want, do we want to be equipped for the work of Christ? Do we want to build up the body? And that, that, that may mean, certainly does mean, uh, encouraging one another, but also the building up, meaning there's more people who are Christians. God gave leaders. God gave leaders so that we would be equipped for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. It's God's plan. Listen. No elder I've ever met would claim to be perfect. No eldership that I've ever met would claim to be perfect. Most of them, probably all of them, would admit they've made mistakes and would struggle. And would admit that they struggle sometimes in making decisions, not exactly knowing which way to go. It's not an easy thing to lead any group of people, is it? Certainly not those who are trying to be holy like God is. But it is God's plan beyond the shadow of a doubt, for wherever his people meet, for them to have leaders so that they can move from where they are to where they need to be. Whether you call them elders, bishops, overseers, pastors, or shepherds, all of those words in the New Testament talking about the same role, elders, shepherds are needed and they're beneficial. It is God's plan for his people because there is this community that is supposed to exist that is committed to the things we've already talked about. And we need leaders in order to do that. Lastly, this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Let's read verse 17 as we close. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. It says there on the, on the screen, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. We read uh, 1 through 5. We read 1 through 3 earlier. Uh, verses 4 and 5 are good. I encourage you to, to go back and read those. But as I was uh, thinking about it last night, I wanted to, to go instead to Hebrews chapter uh, 13 and verse 17 as we think about, okay, we've talked about elders. We've talked about the, the need for, for leadership. But I also want to talk about what's, what's our responsibility to our elders. What, what do we owe these, these men, these people who hold this... Uh, this office that is not something that they created, but something that God created. What do we owe these people? What, what should our relationship be with our elders? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, talking specifically about those who would certainly qualify as elders. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. All right, well, again, we live in a culture where that's, that doesn't sound like something I'm interested in because I don't trust leadership. I don't trust establishment. I don't trust authority. God still says what he says. And I've got to decide if I'm going to follow God or not. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as, to those, as those who will give an account. Now that's a powerful passage, a reminder of the importance and the seriousness of the role that elders play. We know that scripture teaches that one of us, uh, one day all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God to give an account for his life, whether, for his deeds, whether good or bad. Okay, but, but I believe Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 is also saying that every person who's an elder will stand before God one day and give an account for your soul. 
Give an account for the souls of those people who are underneath them. What a tremendous burden. Have you ever thought about that? How does it make you feel that one day you'll stand before God and give an account of your actions? Maybe a little nervous. What if you were responsible in some way for the actions of others, for the souls of others? Listen, no elder, no eldership is perfect. But sometimes maybe we need to give them a little slack. It's a big responsibility, a lot of stress, a big burden that they carry. Let's consider that as we consider those who serve us in that way. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they will do it with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. I've sat in some elders' meetings where there's been some groaning. It happens. What does the Bible say about that? Listen, submit to your elders. Obey your leaders. Recognize that the burden that they have and let them do that with joy. Let them do that not easily because it's never going to be easy. Remember, James tells us to, to endure things and those things can be joyful. I'm not saying, and I don't think Scripture is teaching us, that we don't present our elders with real-life problems, that we've got difficulties, that we've got struggles. Absolutely. They've signed up for the responsibility to help you with that. There will be difficulty. But in your relationship with them, when your relationship with your elders with your eldership individually as a group let them do that with joy yes you can express concerns to them you can disagree with them you can have deep conversations difficult conversations with them all of those things are true and they've signed up to do that it's their responsibility to do that but let them do it with joy a point to be made is that many of us are here and we're here frequently uh, and, and we need to, to recognize the value that god has placed on you as a Christian, being under the leadership of elders. God has never wanted a Christian to do anything alone. God has never wanted a Christian to do anything without leadership. Here at Jefferson Avenue, we're blessed currently with, with seven elders. Seven men who have said, I want to be your elders. I love it better. I, I like it better this way. They've said, I want to be your shepherd. They want to lead you to green pastures. They want to lead you to quiet waters. They want to help you get through the valley of the shadow of death. If you're here on Sundays, that's, that's great. But I hope that you're more importantly a part of the community that exists here. A community that's committed to correction. And yes, that's not always easy. To correction, to caring for one another. And our elders lead us in that. Our shepherds lead us in that. And they, they need to and they do. And they, they know and recognize they can even get better at that. And committed to Christ. Listen, one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Your brothers and sisters in here want to help you be ready for that day. Your shepherds want to help you be ready for that day. What's your relationship with the church here? If you're, especially if you're here every, every week. If you live here in Cookville. What's your relationship with your shepherds? Have you submitted to their leadership? Have you recognized them not as perfect men? Don't look to them as perfect men. Don't look to anyone as a perfect man. Look to them as people who are following Jesus and want to help you follow Jesus. This morning, if you're not a Christian, the good shepherd, as Jesus calls himself in the book of John, came to this earth and he wasn't a shepherd. In fact, he was a lamb. 
the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that gave up his life, that died on the cross and resurrected three days later so that you could have the hope of glory. He overcame and won the victory over death so that you could have the hope of eternal life. Uh, This group of people here, uh, whether you're here with us all the time or whether you're traveling through or whether this is your first time visiting with us, we are a group of imperfect people following a perfect God. And the only thing that makes us right in his eyes is what he has done. We're not sinners anymore. We're not, we, we, we struggle and we do still sin, but we're not sinners anymore because of God and his grace and his goodness. We still mess up. We still fall short individually, collectively, all across the board. But we're heading towards an eternity with God. And if you're interested in going there, we want to help you get there. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God? Will you name him as the Lord of your life? Will you submit to him and be baptized into him for the forgiveness of your sins so that just like those people 2,000 years ago, they received the forgiveness of their sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can receive the very same thing today so that you can live and follow Jesus. You won't do it perfectly, and no one here expects that you will. But you'll do it faithfully, meaning every time you mess up, you'll stand up and try again. And you'll try to not be sinless, but certainly to sin less. If you're not a Christian this morning, This group of people here love you and want you to go to heaven. Much more importantly, God in heaven loves you and wants you to go to heaven. If you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, then you're missing what the Bible says you need to do. If you want to study more about that, I want to study with you. So do a lot of other people here. Uh, If you have questions about anything I've said today or anything about what God wants you to do, let me know that today, whether you come forward here in just a minute or catch me before you leave today. Here in just a second, Andy's going to come and lead us in a song. We're all going to stand. The reason we do that is to make it easier for anybody who might want to respond to the invitation. It's not my invitation. It's not our shepherd's invitation. It's the invitation of Almighty God. He invites you to come and be a part of his family, a family of people that are woefully short of his glory, but that he has made worthy because of the blood of his son, Jesus. If you're interested in that, we want to talk to you. Brothers and sisters who are here all the time, or if you're just passing through, or if you're visiting with us today. What, what's going on in your life? What things don't match up with what you know you ought to be doing? Um, I've got things too. So does everybody else. I'm getting help with those things. From you. From you. Being here today is helpful for me. If you need help with anything, we want to we help you in whatever way we can. If you want to let us know those things in a second, and when we stand and sing, you can do that. Again, catch us afterwards. Talk to our shepherds. That's why they're here. Because you need to move from where you are to where you need to be. And God always provides the leadership that you need to make that happen. If you have any needs this morning, uh, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.